In a moment, I'm going to invite you to join me in corporate prayer. Uh, and as we pray, I'd, I'd like to mention this for you to consider. Our pastor is beginning a, a portion of his sabbatical this week. He's actually on the way from here to Red Earth Country to Oklahoma, Eastern Oklahoma, and he's going to begin this retreat at a monastery. And I'd like you to join me to pray for spiritual renewal. He's going to have a time of solitude where he won't all have all of his staff members calling him, asking him questions. By the way, I called him this morning to ask him one last question. How about that? Right? <laughs> but he, let's pray that, uh, aren't we glad we have him? <laughs> let's pray that God gives him a spirit of renewal and a time of refreshing. As Jim Simbola said, fresh wind, fresh fire. Amen. Let's pray. Father, all of us in here that call you by name, join together in thanksgiving for everything you've done for us in Christ. How could we ever thank you? And on the basis of that thanksgiving, we lay our pastor at your feet and ask you in the name of Jesus. First of all, we plead the blood of Christ over you. We ask you as he has this time away, a time of solitude and reflection and and study in your word. And we pray for fresh wind, fresh fire, new vision. As he gets away from the distractions of everyday life and, and focuses on you. As he looks full into your wonderful face, King Jesus. Lord, today there are those in here that came in here with a heart that's heavy. Lord, they came here to get to, to have an encounter with you. Lord, may your word penetrate in their souls today. Bring about healing, restoration, new hope. Father, I pray that and I ask you today that you would bless the hearing of your word, the teaching of your word. the application of your word. Lord, I thank you for this church and I thank you that you have given us unity. We know that unity is a gift among our elders, among our staff, with our church. We praise your name for that amazing gift. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We pray all these things in the name that's above every name the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let me extend my welcome to those of you that are new. Uh, those of you new, my name is Michael Hall. I'm one of your pastors. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I am so grateful to our worship pastor, Zach, and our worship team. Aren't they amazing? Yes. And I don't think Janine's in the house. I don't think she was in the first service. But, well, I really, I, I, I rarely, I don't speak as often as I should have this week. I didn't get her sermon notes, my sermon notes and small group questions to her until Friday. How about that? She's amazing. She really is. And, and the guys that work in the sound booth do such an incredible job. 
and I thank them from the bottom of my heart. We also have the privilege of having a man who was our worship pastor before Zach and his wife. And listen, they not only uh, lived a legacy here, they left one behind, and that's Doug Fisher. Hey, Doug, it's so good to have you in the house. I'm serious. It's, uh, this man is a, a true pastor, shepherds folks, and uh, not to mention his amazing talent. So we're thankful that we had him. So we're in the series on the book of Daniel, Stand Firm, and we're, Daniel chapter 4 will be our assignment today. I invite you to turn there. There's so many reasons to look at this book. When I think about Daniel, this godly man who was torn from the bosom of his family and sent to a foreign land, they tried to indoctrinate him with their culture, their teaching, their practices. And I wonder about the parallels between his position and our position today to be a godly believer trying to live in this secular society. And Daniel and his three friends, they were under tremendous pressure to conform, to worship the gods of Babylon. And isn't that our situation also? Is to worship the gods of our culture? Are we not under tremendous pressure to conform? We can practice our faith. We can worship Jesus as long as it's not in school. As long as it's not at work or any of the public places. But in spite of these things, Daniel remained faithful. He never bowed his knee. And what he understood and I pray that we understand this today, is that God's plans and purposes would be accomplished. God would establish His kingdom forever and ever. We have an example of a man who lived through those times underneath that tremendous cultural pressure. He not only survived them, he triumphed over them in God, to the glory of God. We need people like that today. I believe I'm looking at a room full of folks like that who are willing to serve Christ and trust Him regardless of the danger and the temptation to compromise. And I would say to you this morning that folks who live like that are ultimately the only ones who triumph. Because regardless of appearances, in the final analysis, they're the ones who will make a difference. People of conviction and people who will stand firm. So our focus is chapter 4. I've titled this message, The Sin That God Will Not Tolerate. This chapter describes the downfall of Nebuchadnezzar, the great king, due to his pride and then his restoration. And the chapter begins with a first-person narrative by Nebuchadnezzar. But before I begin, and I'm going to share some things with you today, and I'm going to speak to you, but I want to give you this addition so you'll understand that I'm not... I'm right here with you through all of this. As I did the sermon prep on this, this particular chapter, I was cut to the core of my being, knowing that pride is ever-present in my soul. 
So I want to say to you today that when I say things like, you need to do work on your pride, you need to do this and that, guess what? I'm right there with you and I mean that. So I want to give you that right up front. Nebuchadnezzar begins this chapter, he extols the Most High God. That's a unique term that's first used here in this book, here in this chapter. And it's not referring to God's role as Redeemer. It's not referring to His wisdom. It's referring to His sovereignty. And what it means is that He's the God who rules. Do you believe that? He's the God who rules, not only in heaven, but on earth. There's nothing that's happening here, nothing that's happening to this country, to this world, nothing that's happening in your individual life that he doesn't know about. We live in that glorious reality, do we not? So he speaks of God's mighty works in this narrative, Nebuchadnezzar does. But there's a troubling thread in this narrative. Look at verse 2 with me. Here's what he says. He said, it seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done. And if he'd have put a period there, it'd be okay. But he said, for me. Well, what's he referring to? Well, what we've seen so far in this book is that there was this dream that he had that no one could interpret except Daniel. Daniel actually could tell him what the dream was, and it was that he would be this mighty king, which he was, and all the kingdoms that would come. Ultimately, there would be the great king that would come, the cornerstone established in his kingdom forever. And then he saw Daniel's three friends thrown into a fiery furnace. <laughs> because they wouldn't bow a knee. And the fourth man shows up. That's an amazing story, is it not? I believe that fourth man is Christ. Their clothes didn't even smell burnt. It was amazing. The only thing that was burnt on them was the things that bound them. Nebuchadnezzar had seen that. It's not what he did for him. It's what God has done. Amen? And then look at this. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Watch out. Watch out, church, when your focus may be on what God has done for you and you're prospering and you're at ease. It's a warning. It was the junior year, my junior year of high school. It was basketball season, and after a rough beginning, I started getting on a roll, and some good things happened, and the Wichita paper had voted me player of the week. And our high school was large by standards in that day, and so after that happened, I walked down the hall, and I thought, it was amazing the adulation and the comments I was getting. Girls that wouldn't have anything to do with me before all of a sudden are talking to me. <laughs> and I just was soaking it all in. And loving life, it was, I was the big man on campus at that moment. And I started believe, believing some of those press clippings. So the next week we're playing our rival for homecoming. It's the last few seconds of the game. We have possession and our coach 
is calling and has designed a play for me to come off some picks and catch the ball in my favorite spot on the court and shoot. We're down by one. And he looked at me and he goes, hey, can you do this? And I said, I've got it. And, and I really believed it. Like I thought, I've got this. I can do this. <laughs> to this day, I don't know why I did what I did, but I come off the pick and I catch the ball and I'm wide open in the corner. And I decided to take one dribble. And I dribbled it off my left foot out of bounds. And all the adulation and backslapping that went on was gone. Instead, I was remembered as the guy who dribbled his foot off the bound, or <laughs> ball off his foot, and lost the game. And 50 years, hey, believe me, there are people that still remember that today. <laughs> and it was my first experience with the truth that pride goes before a fall. See, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He dreams that of a tree that's in the midst of the earth and the height was great. This was an amazing tree. We'll read about it later. And as he looked on, a watcher, Scripture says, this is an angel, a holy one commissioned to carry out God's judgment on earth. This watcher comes down and this beautiful tree that had amazing leaves and fruit for everyone and shelter for all mankind that reached to the heaven, this angel comes down and orders that that tree be cut down. Not utterly destroyed, but cut down to the stump. And the end result of this dream and the consequences we find in the last part of verse 17, Daniel Nebuchadnezzar says he's writing to the end that the living may know that the Most High, there's that term again, the one who's sovereign over all, that the living may know that that Most High God rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He wills and sets it over the lowliest of men. Nebuchadnezzar was afraid when he had this dream. Even though he didn't have the interpretation yet, he sensed he was troubled in his spirit that somehow there would be dire consequences for what this dream meant. And none of his wise men on the payroll could interpret it. So he brings Daniel in again. And Daniel received the interpretation. Look at verse 19 with him with me. He said that Daniel whose name, Babylonian name, was Belteshazzar. And you see another instance of Nebuchadnezzar's arrogance. He had named Daniel after one of his gods. In one sense, he's extolling the Most High God, but he'd incorporated some other gods, and I don't want to chase this too long, but be careful and mindful of the fact when you invite some other God into your life besides the Holy One. So Belteshazzar was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. 
Daniel was dismayed. Why? Because he knew the consequences. He knew what was going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar. We'll see it in a few moments. And I think about a man who's dismayed for the one who's responsible for him being a captive in the first place. Nebuchadnezzar is the one that had him torn from the bosom of his family, had unspeakable things done to his body, torn from his place of worship, never to be able to go back home, never to have a family, never to have a wife. This is the one who Daniel is dismayed for. What an example. What an example of grace and forgiveness. See, Daniel is a type of Christ. He's a shadow of Christ. Do you remember what Christ did on the cross? When he looked at those who were responsible for his death, this sinless man, and asked his father to forgive them? Let me ask you this. Is there someone or many in your life, others who have caused you great harm? Who have wronged you, caused you great pain? Have you forgiven them? Can you extend grace to them as Daniel did? Here's Daniel's interpretation, and I invite you, if you're able to stand and read, stand with me as we read God's Word in honor of reading His Word. And we'll begin verse 20. Here's the interpretation Daniel gives. He says, the tree you saw... You don't need to read it out loud. I'll read this. There's a lot of stuff. Is that all right? I should have given you the right instruction. The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all under which beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. That tree, it is you, O king who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, your dominion to the ends of the earth. Because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High. It is a decree of the one who establishes kings and kingdoms. It's his decree which has come upon my Lord the king. You shall be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, listen to these words. O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps 
a lengthening of your prosperity. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So Daniel gives him this interpretation and he says to him at the end, throw yourself, Nebuchadnezzar, on the mercy of God. Repent, throw yourself and receive his grace. Ask him for his grace. But I want you to see how Nebuchadnezzar responds. Verse 28, it says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? What a loaded sentence, right? I don't want to make a mistake about it at all today. Babylon, even by today's standards, was an amazing city. It was amazing. And as he stood and walked on the palace roof, he was overlooking his hanging gardens, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was amazing. And I want you to notice that he says, I did this. I've built this by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty. Had he listened to Daniel? Had he repented? Look at verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. Seven periods of time shall pass over you. Most scholars agree that this is seven years. Until you know that the Most High, there's that term again, rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. Twelve months. Twelve months that He had. Verse 33 says, Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men a grass like an ox. In other words, he lost his mind. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Let's stop right there. You know, as we we carefully study this particular chapter, we see a similar theological truth that's been woven in the first three chapters. And it's this, and I've already mentioned it. The Lord rules supreme. He's the king of kings. He's the one who makes kingdoms and kings and establishes countries and nations. He alone is sovereign. And this is a major theme in this book. And Daniel makes sure that we get this theological term. And the way he does it is he repeats it three times in this chapter. You see, he couldn't change font size. He couldn't use bold print. He didn't have highlighter available. He had to repeat it as he's writing the scroll. He wanted 
his readers to know that it's God Himself, the supreme sovereign being, who's in control of everything. One of the many things I love about this particular chapter is this. The Lord just doesn't deal with the big picture of Babylon and the exiles. He deals with that. But He gets very personal with Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar is very personal in his response. And the personal practical truth this morning for Nebuchadnezzar is the same as it is for you and I. And it's this. Your pride, my pride, will bring you down. It will. In fact, notice how Nebuchadnezzar himself sums this up in this last verse of the chapter, in verse 37, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the, and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right, his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, now watch this, those who walk in pride, he, God, is able to humble. Do you believe that? Let me ask you again. Do you believe that? Do you believe that He's able to walk, uh, humble those who walk in pride? You see, pride is poison. It's poison. Pride rots relationships from the inside out. Relationships with family. Relationships with your friends. Relationships at work. Relationships at church. Pride rots those relationships. It also perverts God's plans and purposes. And God's plans and purposes are really simply summed up this way. It's His glory that He's after, not ours. <laughs> Did you hear that, church? It's not what Nebuchadnezzar said, like he said, what God has done for me. No, it's what he's done to bring glory to himself. That's how pride perverts that. And then pride also, in the heart of man, resists the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. I want you to think with me for a few moments about a proper, what is the appropriate response to the gospel? Well, first of all, we should rep repent, should we not? We turn from our sin. We do a 180. We go a different direction. So when we hear the gospel, the good news of Christ, that this man, God-man, who lived a sinless life and died for us to pay for our sins and was gloriously resurrected, when we hear that news, our response is first to repent. And then we trust. And that really simply means that we stop relying upon ourselves, my glory, my pride, my majesty, and we rely upon Him. And then we follow Him. We realize we're not in charge. <laughs> Even though I've applied for the manager of the universe multiple times. 
And you know what? I don't even get callbacks anymore. We follow him. He's in charge. So pride is poison. It's offensive to the people around us. More importantly, it's offensive to God. It perverts his plans and purposes and it resists the gospel. And Nebuchadnezzar says, let me tell you what I learned from my seven years in the wilderness, walking around, eating grass and living like a beast. Let me tell you what I've learned. And it's this truth. It's what he said, what Nebuchadnezzar said. God is able to humble those who walk in pride. It's as if the Lord also says to us in this chapter, either you deal with your pride or I'll deal with it. You see, Daniel chapter 4 speaks to something that's a reoccurring theme throughout all of Scripture. And it's this. It's just not enough that pride carries natural consequences, which it does. But there's a biblical axiom here. There's a biblical truth as well. And it's this. Don't miss this, church. Pride has its natural consequences. And also, God actively opposes the proud person. I want to tell you, church, as I studied for this message, when I got to this, I was cut to my quick. Peter puts it this way, the Apostle Peter. He said, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. I know enough Greek to be dangerous. I've shared my weak joke before about how I graduated. Thank you, Lottie, right? Not cum Lottie or anything. But here's, here's what oppose means. You become the enemy of God. He is your enemy. That's what Peter's saying. If you don't humble yourself under His mighty hand, God will become your enemy. God is able, Nebuchadnezzar said, to humble those who walk in pride. There's two things from this chapter I'd like to focus on and, and leave before I leave you today. And here's the first one. How does God then deal with our pride? What, what's that process look like? And the other one is, how can we deal with our pride? And remember, if we don't deal with our pride, God says, I'll deal with it. Well, how does God deal with our pride? Well, here's the first thing. And think about the story with me as we're mentioning these things. The first thing he does is trouble your hearts. He troubles your hearts. Nebuchadnezzar is prospering. He's flourishing. It's been 12 months since the dream happened. His memory has faded. He's overlooking this magnificent city from this magnificent palace, one of the wonders of the world. He's secure. He has everything any person could ever want or need. Yet his heart is troubled. Isn't that how the Lord begins His work in us? By troubling your hearts? 
So first he troubles the hearts of man. There can be anxiety, can be present. There, we can be afraid. We can be empty. Here's the second thing he does. God speaks the truth to you. The Lord sends Daniel to look Nebuchadnezzar in the eye, directly in the eye, the most powerful man in the world, and to look at him in the eye and say, that tree is you. And God's going to cut you off. What do you think about his job security at that moment? (laughs) God sent the messenger to speak the unvarnished truth. But may I suggest to you today that we have a source of truth as well. It may be a messenger like Daniel. God can do anything. Isn't that right? Nothing is impossible for him. But we have the Word of God, do we not? How many times can you guys relate with me? Has the Word of God just cut to the depths of your soul? Brought about conviction and a call to repentance. You see, we have the unvarnished truth. That's why our pastor, and we want you to go through the dwell app. We want you to read God's Word. We want you to be in men's and women's study. Whatever God calls you to, be in His Word. We have this most amazing God-breathed work of literature that's able to bring about healing and instruction and conviction and direction. So He troubles the heart. He speaks the truth. But if we refuse to listen, God will bring about your downfall. Hear me, God will bring about your downfall. I thought carefully how to say this this morning. I didn't say that He will let you fall. I said He Himself will bring about your downfall. Nebuchadnezzar said he is able to humble the proud. And isn't this what we've been looking, learning in the book of Daniel? That God is not passive, but he's active. He is present. He is involved. He's not uninvolved. He's not this benevolent despot that sits down from heaven, looks down from heaven and says, well, you know, so be it. No, he's actively involved. In fact, Scripture tells us that for all of us in this room, He knows the number of our days before there were any. Isn't that amazing? He knows the numbers of the hairs on your head are those that are gone. He knows every single thing about you. He is God. And listen, church, beloved, He loves you too much to allow you to go through your entire life stricken with pride. He loves you too much. He loves you too much for you not to make war with that pride. and Hanging on to it. And after He's troubled your heart and after He's sent someone to speak the truth to you or He sent His Word to speak the truth to you, if you persist in your pride, He will bring you low. That's how God deals with our pride.
So please listen, church, beloved church. If you came in here this morning and your heart is troubled and you hear me speaking the truth, don't be like Nebuchadnezzar. Don't let a year go by and you're sitting in your backyard, you're overlooking your garden and your beautiful flowers because the destruction that comes from the Lord may seem sudden, but it's not. It's the result of pride's slow and destructive work. As I said earlier, pride is poison. It kills everything that it's around. God will deal with our pride. So how can we deal with our pride? And listen, church, it it correlates. Here's the first thing. Find a friend who will tell you the truth. Now listen, if you're that friend in someone's life, (laughs) always speak the truth in love. Amen? And remember that really the biggest problem that you have is not your friend's problems, it's the one you look at in the mirror every day. Right? And know that you can find that person that you can trust knowing that they love you and they're going to extend grace to you, but if they see some of these things that they can come alongside you, and really, they may speak the truth, but let the Word of God guide that. Amen? I mean, I might have words today, but what the most important words that have been spoken here have been the Scripture today right so find a friend that will tell you the truth here's the second one live like a person under authority daniel gave nebuchadnezzar a chance he gave him a remedy he told him what to do stop oppressing the poor right show grace gave him a chance to avoid his downfall but it was going to require him to humble himself I live under the authority of God. Do you know that we either will live under His authority or we're we're going to be crushed? I love how Jesus puts it. Isn't Jesus the best? He said, fall upon the rock, and He's the rock, and be broken. Do Do you know, church, that every time you fall upon Jesus, He's going to break you. And that's a good thing. But the alternative... Christ said, is the rock will fall on you and crush you. That's what Christ said. Fall upon the rock. Be broken to pieces. And here's the last one. This is my favorite. This whole passage. I'm so glad, Lord, that you put this in. Look up for the source of your success. Something beautiful happens in this chapter. Do you remember? It's been 12 months since the dream, the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar has the warning and he's walking on the roof top of his palace and he is looking down. He's up here. Amazing palace. Amazing gardens. With all the money in the bank any man could ever want. And he's looking down, as he said, on what he's created by his power, for his glory. But look what happens by verse 34 of this chapter. Nebuchadnezzar said, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, 
lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. In other words, when he's looking down, he lost everything and lived like a wild beast. But at the very moment after he was humbled, after those seven years, when he began to look up, his reason returned. And he said, and I blessed the Most High, I praised and honored Him who lives forever for His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Oh, beloved, let us learn to look up. Make it your aim today to not make peace with pride, the sin of pride in your life. Don't make peace with it. Don't just say, like I've said before, uh, maybe have you been through a season of your life? I have been. I really did battle with something. And, and then finally, I just thought, well, this is just the way I am. <laughs> have you ever said that? Or is it just me? No, that's not, how the way, that's not the way you are. You have the mind of Christ. He wants the best for you. Learn to stop looking down upon what you think you've done and to look up at what Christ has done. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You today for Your timeless Word. I thank You today that the mystery, the mystery of how Your Word, this God-breathed, alive document, how it goes out to us and it cuts and separates our soul and our spirit and it pours into us truth and instruction and then correction. And I believe within the sound of my voice this morning, there are those here today, like I've been, that have been cut to the quick by this Word. Father, I know You love them more than I could even imagine or think. And I pray that today that they resolve to look up to You. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before You endured the shame, endured the cross, despised the shame, and were victorious. May we look up to You, that author and finisher of our faith, knowing that any success we might have, anything we have is ultimately Yours. And may we learn to live for Your glory and not our success. In the name of Christ Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.